Welcome to the Recover You Podcast. I'm Kyleen. And I'm Patrick. We are a couple in recovery. From sex addiction. And betrayal trauma. Together we share our story to encourage you on your journey. It's here that we talk about sex addiction, betrayal trauma, mental, emotional, and physical health, faith, and anything and everything needed to recover you to your most authentic self that God created you to be. Welcome to another episode of Recover You. So last week was a solo episode. Welcome back, Patrick. Hello, I'm back. (laughs) And uh, that episode was me opening up a little bit more about my personal story, and um, it seemed to connect with people. So we're so happy that it resonated, and we'd love to hear your feedback. So um, let us know what resonates with you, and we will... We will keep doing it and keep putting out content, hopefully, yeah, um, that is absolutely. helpful. Yeah, and so be, before we get into today's you know action-packed episode, <laughs> um, I did want to kind of let everybody know we hit a milestone this week, and so we hit three years of recovery. And so you know, there's a, there's a lot of emotions that always come up in my my mind as I think through things. I think the first thing was I never thought I'd be free of it. And so to to hit a three year mark and recognize that I am free of it, and not only am I free of it, you know, but there's been so much healing that's come from it, and so people have have stepped up to support, and people have surprised me with with the way they've understood the story and offered understanding, and and you know, and 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 you think about well, how do you get there, right? So it certainly took a lot of hard work on my part, but you know. A lot of thanks to you for the way you supported me, the way you kicked me in the ass. You know what I mean? That was necessary. You know what I mean? And sometimes, yeah, no, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure it's probably the part you like the best. (laughs) Um, But, uh, but uh, you know, it's it it's you know you you don't very you know very seldom, if ever, do you get through things by yourself. And so, you know, I needed a team of support, and I needed strong boundaries, and I needed consequences. And I needed love, and I needed grace, and I needed process, and I, you know, all of those things got me to where I am today. And you know, the two people that mean the most to me in my life, you and Keegan, you know, really extended a hand of grace to me. That that you know, I guess that's the whole definition of grace, right? I didn't deserve it, right? And and so it was, uh, you know, I think it was Wednesday morning. I came in to kiss you goodbye, and I got all emotional <laughs> thinking about it. You know, it's just, and it's just, you know, you really don't, you know, when you're when you're when you're deep in it, you never think you'll ever escape. And, you know, and and to to look back and and say, man, not only have I escaped, but I'm thriving, we're thriving. Um and and so, you know, the 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 um we we've just we've really, you know, come a long way. And, and you know, oddly, I was actually thinking about this this morning, and you're gonna be like, hmm. So, you know, as as some of you may know, I'm an avid runner. I really love to run. So oddly enough, on the week that I hit three years is the week that I ran for the first time post knee surgery. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so there's like a there's a little bit of a of a of a um it's almost like it, it, physically I'm getting more healthy as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. And so I really thought about we that. We talked about that a little bit in different episodes. I think it just was a um, uh, confluence, right? Mentally, emotionally, and physically, everything sort of in your environment right, improved. Right. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's interesting. You did something that I think was was really important is you you held the vision for what our marriage should be and 
you know, you raise the bar. So we had a relationship before and it was good. Um, if you know what I mean, good, you know, yeah. outside of the, you know, the addiction component, but you know, you raised the bar. You said, Hey, if I'm going to stick around for this, mm-hmm. you know, I want things to be better than they've been. And so, you know, you laid out a vision and it's always important to lay out a vision. It's always important to say, Hey, I'm going to, you know, and all the top like motivational people talk about that. You know, Tony Robbins, they always say, well, what are the three things that you envision coming true? And mm-hmm. and I listened to a guy yesterday who talked about like, what was it he would say every day? He goes, I am uh, deeply grateful that I have multiple income streams. Like he oh, said, yeah, that, he was talking about money. Yeah. Yeah. He, he said that to himself for like 26 years well, or something okay, like so, that. But the, the point with that was that um, not that saying affirmations magically makes things happen. Mm-hmm. It's on a subconscious level, what you're teaching your brain to focus on. Right. And so if you tell your brain mm-hmm. that looking for opportunities is important, then your brain will bring opportunities. And so the, I because I listened to the same podcast you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And what that guy was saying basically is like when I was focused on the negative, I would find the negative. But if right. I focused on if if I was reminding myself every morning like what it was that I wanted to be aware of during mm-hmm. the day, then my brain would pull that through my filter and I would become aware. It's not that those opportunities didn't always exist. It's that right. it's that you bring it into your awareness so mm-hmm. that then you can take advantage of them and, and make decisions based on that. Right. And so right. yeah, I mean, I think with a relationship. <laughs> Uh, I was very much like, this is going to suck. <laughs> and if it is going to be this uncomfortable and this hard, we better end up in a place that's not just like, we're not just like managing life living together. We're yeah. not just roommates. Like we, this is a good situation and a, maybe even a better situation than what we started with. Right, right, yeah. yeah. So thank you very, very much. And uh, just a. You know, I'm looking forward to four and five. And mm-hmm. you know, I heard a story this morning about somebody who was a sponsor who's 12 years in. Wow. And so, yeah, I was like, why? That's, uh, you know, that's, I'm 25% through that. And boy, the freedom that that guy must feel knowing that that it never came back. And, you know, he mm-hmm. did some hard work and, and really, and it's just really wonderful. You know, it's just really wonderful to, and it's possible. I think, I think that's what I got to tell everybody is like, it's, it's possible. And so, Takes work, painful, mm. vulnerable, scary, but um, amazing, loving, um, comforting, and victorious. I think is what I would say. Yay! Yay. Good job. Thank you. <laughs> you <laughs> that, too. Thank you. Um, yeah. So I think that that actually segues really well into the question that we sort of wanted to address today. So I received this in um, the Facebook group that I have for Betrayed Partners. And this question is really kind of complex and deep. And I thought that it would be well addressed with both of us having the addict perspective as well as my betrayed and recovered you know, perspective and coaching perspective and that sort of thing. Because um, it is complex. It brings in, uh, it brings in faith. It brings in the spousal relationship, it brings in like a lot of different, and so I think it's kind of a complicated question, and um, I'll just read it, and then I'll kind of share some of my thoughts on it, but the question is essentially, what is my responsibility as the betrayed partner and as a believer to confront my husband? Do I keep bringing the behavior up or do I step back and pray? So I will be just like fully honest here and say, 
um, that I get a little activated sometimes around questions like this because I so have a heart to defend and protect women. And when it comes from, I, I want them to feel empowered in their relationship. And when it comes with the, um, uh, added complexity of the faith-based layer, um, the reason I get a little activated sometimes is because I want to, I have this like innate desire because of experiences that I've had and all of these stories that I've heard from the church and everything like that to just push back so hard on the abuses of the church to keep women on this sort of doormat level of tolerating abuse and tolerating mistreatment in the name of martyrdom for their belief. Mm -hmm. um, and I just think that is so unbiblical. And so I get I get really like, oh, I want to defend the women and I want to empower the women. And so um, I will do my best <laughs> to calmly articulate. But I think that this actually brings in so many things that I've wanted to talk about and I just haven't yet. And I I absolutely don't think I'm going to be able to encompass them all in a podcast because um, it does. There's so many angles to answer this question. And so I think what I'd like to, to kind of bring in is what I think are some of the underlying questions um, that this question is actually asking. Um, but before I even do that, just acknowledging that I'm not going to be able to I mean, in one podcast episode, I don't think we're going to be able to address all of the theological things that go into it. So I do definitely want to always provide resources to that end. And so three resources that I think are going to be helpful around this topic is a book by Joseph Pote, P-O-T-E, and it is So You Are a Believer Who Has Been Through Divorce. Now, obviously, that's not the question is about divorce, but I think one of the underlying questions within this question is this idea that the Christian community sort of promotes that divorce is a sin, right? And it's not just a sin. It's like the ultimate sin that nobody can come back from. There's so much guilt, so much shame, so much pressure to stay married no matter what the situation is um, for whatever reason, right? Mm -hmm. And so um, this book really kind of goes into some of the myths that are pushed in Christian culture versus what the Bible actually says about it. And when I started really learning what the Bible actually says about marriage, it really, it's so empowering to women actually to really stand up for health in their relationship um, and to and to not feel like they have to tolerate um, abusive and unhealthy situations. So so yes, even while divorce is not really the, the topic per se, I think those beliefs really do go under the foundation of the question itself when, when we're Faith, um, we have that faith base. So, so you're a believer who has been through divorce. Joseph Pote is just a great resource. Um, another one that is sort of around this topic is The Great Sex Rescue by Sheila Gregoire. Or Gregoire, I'm not 100%. Is it Gregoire? Um, but you've heard us talk about this book a lot. And she basically pushes back against a lot of myths in the Christian church, the lies you've been taught and how to recover what God intended. And again, what it's pushing back again is this purity culture, this idea that women um, don't have a voice in their relationship. And so again, I think that's a really great resource. And then um, another resource is going to be a book called Untwisting Scriptures. And again, it just sort of talks about patriarchy, authority, um, what people are taught in some of the more conservative Christian culture communities um, and, um, you know, processing through that and, and, and alternate ideas. Okay, so laying that foundation, because I think that's underlying, right? A lot of these fears, a lot of these questions is like, ultimately, like, how do I be a good Christian, right? Like, how do I be, um, what what is... God's intention for marriage? What is God's intention for 
a wife. Um, And I think one of the questions that kind of comes up is at its core is, you know, what does God say about marriage and what are my rights as a Christian spouse? And I think so often, um, I like to say that, like, I I will make these videos, like your rights as a spouse. Um, And I think they resonate because that's not terminology that we often hear in the Christian community. Hey, you have rights as a Christian spouse. And I think that's really important to remind people. And so to answer that question, like, what are your rights as a Christian spouse? It kind of goes into, well, what is what is um, the assumption of a Christian marriage? Like what are, what is expected within a Christian marriage? And so the number one thing is fidelity, mm-hmm. right? Like that's the number one thing that Christian marriage is based on this idea of one man, one woman, monogamy. Um, and so much, I think, in Christian culture then is— um, duty-based the way it's taught, but I don't think that that is scriptural at all. Um, So I like to kind of tell people, hey, like you have a right to fidelity in your marriage. And so when that is not happening, absolutely you have a right to speak up and to to speak um, up against that, Mm -hmm. right? And so Again, this this um, because the question was faith based. This podcast episode is going to be very faith based in in the nature of what we're talking about, and in in the Christian community, um, pornography is very clearly adultery. Um, so, what Jesus did in the New Testament that is so cool is he took the Old Testament and he said, "Yes, we we." take this as the foundation of our lives, how we build our um, moral values and our um, community interactions. And like, this is, we, we, yes, the Old Testament is what we sort of base our moral law on. But let's dig into the heart behind things. So, you know, um, a lot of Jesus' ministry was pushing about, pushing back against Pharisaical law, where it, they were more focused on legalism and details than they were the emotions and the heart behind, the intention behind something, right? So for example, in the Old Testament, like divorce is um, allowed. So first of all, divorce isn't a sin. That's like the number one thing. Um, and so um, we in the church, we're so afraid that like we have to, you know, do all of these things because we can't consider divorce because we're a Christian and that's just wrong. Well, that's just not true. That's not what the Bible says. First of all, the Old Testament allows for divorce. One of the reasons is because, um, you know, uh, to protect, to actually protect the um, the wounded, right? Mm-hmm. It's to protect um, and allow for something um, to be, it, it's not, it's not um, illegal and it's not a sin, first of all. But what Jesus did was he protected the, the women in the situation. So in Jewish culture where divorce was handled by, you know, the men and women could sort of be thrown out. Women Jesus comes in so a lot of the times where we feel like the divorce is actually like problematic is when he goes, "Hey, like um he pushes back against that a little bit." The reason isn't because he's saying divorce is wrong, it's because he's trying to protect the women because of what happened to them in the society. So mm-hmm. then he takes it a step further and he goes, "Hey, um you looking at a woman lustfully is adultery, right? right? And so he goes, let's look at the heart behind this idea Mm -hmm. of marriage and say, let's take it a step further. It's not just about your actions. It's also about um, your thoughts and your feelings and, you know, what your, you know, intentions are. So um, again, this is, this is like a whole other episode that I I recommend you look into some of those resources that I mentioned. Um, so that I don't get too off topic kind of going down the divorce route. But mm-hmm. 
I think that's important to touch on with this question because I do think that fear kind of underlies some of the Christian community, like the way that they um, approach these types of things. And so it makes us fearful, right? Um, The other thing that comes within that is like the submission piece, right? Like what is my role as a wife, right? And so that is just really um, misunderstood and miscommunicated in in the Christian community, what a wife's quote unquote role is in the house. And and so in in American evangelical Christian culture, it's very much taught that um, in a way to say that you should just be a doormat. And on a lot of Christian churches, it's basically taught you need to deal with whatever happens. Your husband is the leader. It doesn't matter if he is living a life of integrity or not. You just have to deal with that because that is your role as a spouse is to support him and he gets to be the leader and he gets to lead even when he is in active sin. Mm-hmm. And that's the message that is promoted. They're like, he can be verbally abusive. He can look at pornography. He can do all of these different things and you just have to tolerate it because that is your role. He gets to quote unquote lead. And that is such an abuse of scripture. It's so not what it actually teaches at all. If you go into the Ephesians sections where it talks about marriage in the Bible, it starts with mutual submission where it's like supposed to be a mutual relationship between the two parties. That's the foundation of everything else that comes from it. But beyond that, like even if you believed in the hierarchy, which I don't think scripture really teaches at all, but if you believed in that, the only way it would work was would be in a utopic society or a utopic world where um, the man wasn't actively choosing to live in sin. You can't lead others when you are not living in integrity. You just can't. And so um, for someone, when you're in a household where you're both aware that one of you is living and choosing active sin, that sort of demolishes that whole hierarchy. It's just, it's, it doesn't work. Because when you have somebody that's actively choosing to cheat on you, which is exactly what pornography use is in the Christian community, when you when you have somebody that they know and you know, and you both know this is happening once right. a week, twice a week, mm-hmm. once a month, twice a month, once every day, 10 times a day, who knows? Whatever you, whatever you think you know, generally it's more, right? So like mm-hmm. whatever number Absolutely, you think it yeah. is. Um, when you have somebody... I know and you know that you're actively cheating on me in this relationship. Where do, where do you think that leaves us in terms of um, leadership? Right? Well, yeah, well, not, yeah. e- not even leadership, like respect, yeah. mutual respect. Yeah. How am I supposed to respect somebody that is actively cheating hurting, on me? Hurting. Hurting and abusing, yes. Right. Actively hurting, cheating, abusing. Those are mm-hmm. all valid words because that's what pornography use is. Now, You've heard us talk in this podcast over and over and over and over. We believe in the trauma model. We believe in addiction. We understand that this is difficult. I'm not saying that this is easy. But once it's out in the open, you have choices. Mm -hmm. Once it is out in the open, you have the choice to recover or to continue down your path. Right, and so that's where I think that um, th- that is the the foundation that I sort of wanted to lay as we as we answer this question. Yeah, yeah. I, I was it, you know as I as I read that question and I hear you talk and you know I've got a uh, I've got a lot of thoughts about that passage in Ephesians. I think is what you said. It's like I I often feel like where men make the mistake is they ignore the part that's addressed to men and they solely focus on what's addressed to women when it's like, no, just, just follow your own instruction. You know what yeah, I mean? Right. And right. so, so, you know, if you think about that, you know, the, you know, marriage is, there's a lot of mutuality in, in a good marriage. There's a lot of, you know, and, and so if you are 
are um, mutually, and, and I hate to use the word submission, even, but you know, it is the word that's in there, right? Um, but it's like, imagine... Well, let me, let me give a reframe for people who struggle with that word. You can think of it as support. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's and so a great, when you when you think of when you think of like um, pillars, if you go like the Greek building or whatever, you have mm-hmm. those really strong pillars that like hold up the roof. Mm-hmm. That's sort of what that is. It's not doormat submission. That's not what this is. It's like it is a a warrior type support role that is very powerful. Um, you you when because other translations use the word helper, right? And it just seems the way Americans translate it is so much of like servitude and submission, and mm-hmm. it's really not. It's it's a powerful partnership, right? And both right. of you play roles in that powerful partnership yeah. to help the other one. Guess what? Grow into a better person, a person yeah. of integrity yeah. and authenticity. Right. It's so totally the opposite. I feel of like mm-hmm. what we're often taught. Anyway, yeah. okay. So yeah, there's good, a good reframe there. You're, you yeah. think of visualize when you think submission. Think pillar of support. It's a very strong role. Well, and it's, as you're saying that, it's like you know what what happens when um, to use that analogy of two two pillars of support holding up a holding up a roof. Um, you know when they're both acting and holding the weight equally. You know, that's great. If if there's pornography use or something like that, then you've got a crack in one of those things. And then so all of a sudden, the other partner has to hold up the whole roof. Mm-hmm. And that's what's happening in, in this. So when Oh, I you, love this analogy. Let me just take it one step further. The pillar that is cracking, <laughs> okay, and the roof is starting, and the, uh, and the betrayed partner is really trying to hold everything up. Mm-hmm. What makes it so much worse is when the partner starts lying or gaslighting, and that's like, like just shooting bombs at the other pillar. Let's tear down that pillar too. And so yeah. then what do you have? Yeah. You're going right. to have total chaos and destruction. Right, right. Well, you know, Doug Weiss actually says this in The Conqueror Group. He says that, you know, as a, as, a, as a man, you hold up your sword to like defend your family and all this stuff. But when you're engaging in this behavior, you actually turn the sword, sword thank you, turn the <laughs> sword towards your partner, right? And you're wounding your partner. As a, so it kind of goes along those lines, you know what I mean? And so you're not you're not fulfilling the role that that you should do, which is to mutually protect each other, mutually look out for each other, mutually you know love right. each other. And you know, think about what you did. You know, when when you discovered, you know, I remember you actually saying, I remember laughing about this. You go, well, you're no longer the leader in the household. I was like, I was the leader in the household. Well, listen, I've been through some iterations <laughs> with that belief system, okay? But, um. but, but I, I, you know, you had, you had been raised in a traditional conservative, you know, Christian belief system. And now in your mind, what it, really was about was hey if we're if there's like a tiebreaker decision well then I'll maybe I'll let you like make the final decision and I was not like beating you up I wasn't like you know oh my gosh you know no. and stuff like that so it's the like the thing was I, well let me just clarify this most people that that's called complementarianism where you believe in the hierarchy most people that say that they believe happily in complementarianism actually live an egalitarian equal partnership lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And so they go, oh yeah, it's not that bad. But the the, the issue with allowing complementarianism to exist and to say that it's okay is it opens the door for abusive power over relationships with the backing of saying, and I'm allowed to treat you this way because scripture tells me so. And so that's why it's not okay. Yeah. I've really come to the place it's really not okay to accept it on any level because that's what it opens up. And that's not God. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus is always protecting weak people, people that are hurting, people that are vulnerable. He's mm-hmm. always protecting those people. Yeah. So there's no way he's going to promote a system that 
just openly, flagrantly allows abuse like very easily to happen. Right, right. And you know, I think I think about this. You know, the the in the answer to the question or whatever. Think about what what we started with and what was so effective to my recovery. You know, you put effective boundaries in place. You said to me, and I knew this from day one or day. 0.5 or 1.25 or whatever point that was that if I did it again, our marriage would be over. And that was your boundary. And you were going to stick to that. And you were going to, and it was a powerful motivator for me. And along, you know, alongside of that, I did not want to do it again. So there was, you know, there was two things that, that, that were going on there. But it really helped in that early formulation of plans. It really helped in that early formulation of you were okay. like, well, I better succeed at this. Yeah, yeah. How serious am I going to take this recovery? Mm-hmm. Right now, I was very serious about it. I think I was very serious about it anyway. And I, you know, we talked about vision at the beginning. My vision was no matter what happened between the two of us, I was going to, I was going to heal. I was going to become different. And and so that was my vision. I adopted that vision early on as well. Well, and you had tried yeah, before, which right. was kind of encouraging to see, like, okay. On your own willpower, so to speak, you had attempted. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I think you know, I think um, you know, they're they're, but but I I hope people aren't aren't missing that. Is one of the key components to this is there has to be an effective boundary in there. It is okay for the spouse to say, "This is what I expect if we are going to be in relationship together." This is what I, you know, when it comes to infidelity, this is not about making coffee with creamer in it in the morning and, you know, hey, I, I demand that you put a <laughs> tablespoon of almond well, milk I mean, in there yeah, or else we back, get divorced. It's going back to the beginning of you have a right to fidelity. You do. So you absolutely have a right to communicate. And this mm-hmm. is a normal, common boundary to say, listen, if I'm going to remain in this relationship, my expectation is that you do these recovery activities, right, you know, with the, right. the, the basic foundations of which are going to yeah. um, addiction recovery, trauma therapy, mm-hmm. um, getting into a group where you can process your woundings and heal and talk yeah. and be vulnerable yeah. and talk right. to other men and um, that sort of thing, right? And so that's a super, super, super normal, like uh, very common women will put into their boundaries if I'm going to work through this with you and I'm going to stay here, because this is, again, just to kind of clarify in case this has never been made clear to a betrayed partner, his behavior is abusive. Infidelity is abuse. Mm -hmm. It goes against, in a Christian marriage, the sanctity of your marriage. It goes against the covenant between him and you and the covenant between him and God to treat you and to respect you a certain way and to love you. And it's one thing to struggle secretly with shame and addiction, but it's another to flagrantly leave it out there. My partner knows that I'm cheating and I'm just going to keep doing it. And I, I, I would take it even a step beyond that. You know, we're, we're certainly Christians and we're talking about the, the Christian context based on the question. Um, but in any marriage, you know, in, in any marriage, and, and if you don't want that in your marriage, for sure, it, then it's it's still abuse, whether any, it's a yeah. Christian marriage or not. And the thing yeah. is, it's anything that really, the definition I would say is anything that goes against your mutual agreements. Like That's you guys right. have, you came into this marriage agreeing to monogamy. Like you agreed to monogamy. Mm-hmm. That is not happening. Right. I mean, I don't, you know, it's like, it's such a fundamental foundation of a relationship 
to know that the sexual outlet that your partner has is just you. Like that's, if you didn't agree to that, you would have an open marriage. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. And this is something that frustrates me in the Christian community when, when um, like churches and stuff, like don't acknowledge, they don't act like pornography is the same as a physical affair. Mm-hmm. It's the same. It's the same in the brain. It's the same on the trauma to the partner. It's the same level of infidelity. Sometimes the consequences are different. You know, you're not going to get an STD from pornography, right? Um, and a betrayed spouse sometimes has a more difficult time reestablishing physical intimacy, you know, one way or another if they have certain, you know, um, aspects of their partner's cheating that they can't really, um, it's a harder to get over for them. But in its essence, it is the exact same thing. Right. It's expressing sexuality and engaging with other human beings for sexual release that is not your spouse. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how you define infidelity other than that, you know, like, it's not monogamy. And if it doesn't fit in monogamy, then what is it? Right. So um, I think I think that the, some of those are really good foundations to start answering this question. Like you have a right to fidelity. Jesus empowers women in relationships. He does not disempower them. He protects the vulnerable. He does not promote abuse. He does not promote tolerating abuse. So I think boundaries is something that's um, you know difficult sometimes to set. And I think a lot of times that's because we haven't been taught how to do them, or we've been taught that they are um, wrong. It, you know, if if you if you believe in the hierarchy of marriage, um, it's wrong for a wife to set a boundary, right? Because she just has to follow whatever her husband says. And I think sometimes too, it's um, it's sometimes I think um, wives don't really want to. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, they don't want it. So if the husband is powering over with his behavior, sometimes wives don't want to counteract that with what they feel is a power over dynamic the other way. And I totally get that. Like they don't want to feel like they're parenting their spouse, right? A hundred percent. It's uncomfortable. The dynamic shift is weird. I get it. Um, but here, here is what boundaries actually are. Boundaries are what you will and will not tolerate in the relationship. Boundaries are what help you feel safe. It's, it's what you are willing to deal with and what helps you feel safe in a relationship. So in my mind, boundaries are an invitation to the unhealthy partner to come into a healthy space. And so when you say, I'm not going to, you know, forever commit to having infidelity in my relationship, you're not being a mean person. You're not setting an unrealistic expectation. This is like, again, this is the bare minimum foundation of a monogamous marriage Mm -hmm. is that you have two people that aren't cheating on each other. And so that's a very okay, very normal, very uh, good, I would say, boundary to set. So it's okay to say that. It's okay to set that expectation. Um, And and one thing sort of, you know, again, in the faith community kind of talking about this, um, you, you had, we were talking about Jesus earlier, that um, he sets boundaries. He's actually, sometimes I think, um, I don't know, sometimes, I, I think sometimes just the way church talks about things or the way culture sort of brainwashes us into the submission culture and purity culture just really disempowers women so much. But what what is our job in life as a Christian, male or female? What is our job? It is to emulate Christ, to be like Christ, and and to become more and more like him, right? And he demonstrated some pretty great 
things in his life. And he set some boundaries. He didn't say yes to everybody. Mm -mm. He certainly didn't let people walk all over him. He stood up for himself against Pharisees. He protected the vulnerable. He protected the weak. He would say, no, I'm done for the day because I'm tired and I'm going to go off and get some rest. I'm going to separate myself from the crowds. Um, he could have worn himself ragged. Do, mm-hmm. you know, he was in high demand. He, was, he could have spent you know, 48 hours at a time healing people. But he goes, you know what? I need to set myself aside. He would regularly take those private times to go pray and to to reconnect with God and to stay connected with his father and to reconnect and ground spiritually. Um, And so, and and also he, he didn't spiritually bypass pain. And I think that's an important point. He could have snapped his fingers and not gone through the temptation with the devil in the wilderness that took 40 days, Mm -hmm. right? He could have not done that. He felt what it was like to feel hungry. He felt and experienced what it was like to be tempted and to be antagonized by the devil. He experienced those things and allowed himself to go through that. He chose to go through all the suffering that he did leading up to the cross. And then finally, he died. He didn't have to do those things. Mm -hmm. But he could have, you know, snapped his fingers essentially and the angels would come to him, right? But he didn't do that. He lived through the human experience. And so I think it's an example to us that it's the combination, right? It, so he was praying. He was constantly in alignment with God the Father. But he wasn't just praying. He was setting boundaries. He was, he was getting rest. He was doing all of these human need activities that we need as human beings. And he demonstrated that that's okay. Yeah, I think if we view Jesus like Zeus— then we're missing the point of the Gospels. Um, you know, this all-powerful, all-knowing um, thing that th- shoots thunderbolts from the sky. You know, that, that's Yeah, what, the humanness of Jesus right, is, yeah. is a really important part of his connection um, and desire and expression of love towards us. Right, right. And there's many uh, examples where he demonstrated vulnerability, where he needed, you know, where he cried, and he, you know, he asked people to be— you know, to affirm him in in a weird way. You know what I mean? That, that there's there's and, and it's so. Well, he he. I don't know about affirmation, but he he needed community just like everybody else. Community mm-hmm. is a very healing thing. It's a very grounding thing, right? Well, he desires love. You know, he wants us to love others the way he loves the church, which is you know, God is love, and 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 he wants us to to love him too, mm-hmm. and and he doesn't want us to love him out of. Um, obedience. Obligation. Right. Obligation. Thank you. He wants us to love him because he desires that love too. And so, you know, the, the, and, and he knows that we're flawed mm-hmm. and he knows that we're going to take time to get there. And he's sometimes he's got to smack us around a little bit, you know, and be like, okay, I'm going to expose you, you know, and things like that, because oh, he knows know. that it moves us closer and closer to the point where we, you know, he, he has, remember the whole point of free, free will, right? That's the yep. whole point about, about being a Christian. He doesn't force us to do these things. He actually, engages he allows us to make a choice but he desires it and so so i started watching the conquer series because i recommend it to literally everyone and i kind of feel like i know all of the information because of um how frequently and, and how in depth you sort of like shared the topics and everything but i started going through the videos just because um i think I, I want to know what's included and i just wanted to do it and um that when when you were um mentioning that it sort of reminded me 
Let's actually go into the question real quick and I'll, I'll attach this. So, so the first part is what is my responsibility as the betrayed partner and as a believer to confront my husband, okay? So I wanted to just mention something that they said in the Conquer series, and you can correct me if it's not specific because you probably have them <laughs> memorized with how many times you've seen 20, them. 22 times I've yeah, seen that. Yeah. Um, but basically what he said was, and I believe this was, was Doug Weiss talking, he basically said, you will get exposed and it's more or less it's God's gift to you. Mm-hmm. And so whether it is your spouse exposing you or God exposing you in some other way, it will happen. Yeah, yeah. And I the the wording of that essentially that it is his gift to you, that kind of resonated with me. And so I wanted to talk about that. I view it that way. I mean, I view it that way now. You know, we're talking about three years, and and I view it that way. I, I you know, I I I feel like I had to get help. Mm-hmm. I, there's no way I tried. Mm-hmm. I tried to do it on my own. And it wasn't until, you know, I was staring as, as hard as that was to see the pain on your face and to see the confusion on Keegan's face and all of those things. I had to. I had to get to that yeah. point. And you just very rarely can you do that. And I think sometimes that's another misunderstanding of, of Scripture is that people just snap their fingers and you're healed. You know, we all, in order to, to, maybe you start, but in order to stay in healing, you need people. You well, need the first people step to you. healing is is coming out of the dark. That's right. Acknowledging what, what, and what essentially getting exposed, that's whether right. you're confessing or you're getting, yeah. yeah, that's step number one. So, what is my responsibility as the betrayed partner and as a believer to confront my husband? So, I think there's two sides here. One, your responsibility to yourself is to determine what makes you feel safe and what you're willing to tolerate long-term. So in this place right now with his pattern of behavior, if this doesn't change, how are you going to feel in five years and 10 years? Assuming that everything stays the same, although if it is addiction, it'll probably progress in some sense. So either way, if it stays the same or progresses, where you're at right now in five or 10 years, how are you going to feel about being in this relationship? Not doing anything, right? I think that's an important question to ask. Most people are going to go, I can't handle that for five years. I can't handle that for 10 years. If it progresses, 100% no, right? Like there's a there's a level to which people sort of go, um, this may be manageable because it's like the devil I know and I sort of like understand, but if it gets worse, right? And so I think that's an important question. What makes you feel safe in your relationship? And actually being really, really honest, do you feel safe? When your husband is engaging in these behaviors, and both of you know that it's happening, do you really feel like you can connect intimately and vulnerably on an emotional level with this person? Can trust be there? Can respect be there? Can all these components of a healthy relationship be there if this thing is now and probably will forever be in the relationship? It's the pink elephant that's in the room every single time you're together. So for the first side of it is with the decision to confront um, is dealing with, what you as an individual feel safe with and can tolerate and want. What What is your vision like we were talking about earlier? The other side of it is like the friendship level, right? This is somebody that you love, you care about, you chose to spend your life with. You probably like them as a human being. Otherwise, you know, um, we wouldn't have married them, right? There's something you like about this person. You probably deeply love them and deeply care about them. And so when you're thinking about that, what is the kind thing to do? Now, there's a difference between being nice to somebody, which is a lot of like people pleasing and sort of like keeping the peace and being kind, which sometimes is doing the hard thing, but the right thing. Being kind to somebody um, is where consequences fall into relational patterns. 
Being kind to someone is allowing someone to experience the reality of the behaviors that they're perpetrating onto you and the world. If you protect them from the consequences of bad behaviors, a lot of times their behaviors won't change. So if somebody steals a little bit every day, oh, it's just a penny here, it's just a dime here. Yeah, there's actually stories about that, right? Like those big corporations, I'll just steal a penny from every account, right? It's billions of dollars. Is that okay? It's just a penny. Mm-hmm. No, the kind thing to do is to go, that's wrong. That's morally wrong. And I'm going to help you not do that. Now, I want to put a caveat here as the spouse. You have no control over whether he gets sober or not. So whether you stay in the relationship or you get out of the relationship, your behavior now and forever never made him engage in these behaviors in the first place. And no boundary you set will ever force him into recovery. So boundaries, first and foremost, are always about you and what makes you feel safe and what you will tolerate. They have an invitation to join you in that safe, healthy place. However, when you have a partner that wants to recover, there is a level to which you have influence on that relationship. And those, and those, um, so let's assume like we're not talking about people who are abusive in other areas. We're not talking about people who are going to gaslight and blame and push back and fight and like all this kind of stuff. We're talking about like a guy that acknowledges that this is wrong, right? And on some level, he wants to recover. So then you as the partner can have some influence on that. So if he's, let's say he's sort of like in the middle, right? He's not like 100% motivated on his own right now, but he also is like, I really don't like this. I believe it's morally wrong. I would, you know, if you if you corner him, he'd go, yes, I want to stay in this marriage and I want to improve it, right? If he's sort of in the middle there, it may take a consequence in order to motivate him to get to the point where he does take all of that responsibility and take action. Now, the thing with consequences is, they're different for every single addict. Some people, it's just like like we were talking with Patrick. I just had to say, I won't tolerate this anymore and really, really mean it for you to know that it was true. For other people, it may take actual in-home separation for them to realize, oh, this is like legitimately impacting my life. For other people, it might take serving them the divorce papers or actually getting divorced, right? It, it, and for some people, it may, they may never change. And so again, your the the consequence and the boundary is more about really truly getting honest with yourself and saying like what am i willing to tolerate long term how am i going to feel in 5 years if this is still in my relationship and what am i willing to do about it um but when you have somebody that it that actually at their core at their heart does want to change sometimes these boundaries that you set for yourself influence them in a positive way to t- to make the changes more quickly in their life mm-hmm. I, I view this uh, behavior as a sickness in in a and I'm, talk, I'm not talking about disease model trauma model. It's a sickness in a relationship, right? And so if you think about if you relate it to like a normal sickness, right? If you if you knew that your your spouse needed to go to the ER because they were really really sick, and you were like, well, I don't know, maybe I just won't do that. Like it, it, this it, as the relationship ails as it dies Mm -hmm. you know you you because that's what this behavior is going to do it's going to kill intimacy it's going to kill um vulnerability it's going to kill all of those things so if you take it you know if you slide it over to like a a physical illness you would take action 
right? You would take action. You know, like I did that with you. I remember that one time during chemo and you weren't feeling well and Keegan and I were off cleaning up after the tornado. I was talking to you. You weren't feeling well. I came home. I saw the bad shape you're in. I took action. I scooped you up. We went to the ER, right? And so yeah, turns out I had like an infection. Yeah. <laughs> and so, but you needed me to do that, yeah. right? Because you either didn't see the full situation. You didn't think it, you thought it would just pass. Maybe you didn't have the energy or whatever that was. So th- there's really no difference in this thing. You know, sometimes the it is very loving to, you were loving me by by going down this road and saying, these are the boundaries, these are, and, and, and it didn't seem, seem to be that case, right, at, at the moment, um, because I knew you were really mad. There was a lot of anger in there, right? Rightfully so. Um, there was a lot of anger in there, but you were loving me because you wanted me to be better. You wanted, you knew, once again, we talked about this at the very, very beginning, you had a vision for what our relationship could be and for what I could be. And so, you know, it's, it, it, I think, yes. And I think it's that brings up the point of not lowering the bar in a relationship. So again, going back to like your rights as a spouse, you have a right to fidelity. You also have a right to know what's actually happening. Mm -hmm. So like, I don't, you know, this, this question only brought up so much context, right? In the relationship, we don't have all the details. So hopefully we're pulling enough threads to give at least uh, some sort of answer here. But, um, but one of the things I'm thinking too, with this question is like, you deserve to know what's actually going on. Absolutely. So yeah. if if you if if you're having to constantly bring this up, that to me that's indicating maybe there are not these deep open conversations happening about the depth of the actual behavior. And if you don't know how frequently he's looking, is it is it um, just pornography? Is it cybersex? Is it you know masturbation? Is it um, you know a physical affair? Ninety nine percent of the time, it's more than he's telling you. Right. And so that's where I'm saying the second point in in your rights as a spouse is you have the right to know who you are married to. Right. You have the right to know who you are married to. And if you don't feel like you have that full context, you have the right to know. Mm -hmm. So yes, you have the right to confront, to set boundaries, to have these conversations. And I don't, I don't know if I want to use the word demand, but essentially to demand truth. I mean, I think you have the right to truth in your relationship, right? And and so I think that's important. Um, you you um, had mentioned this earlier, but not in the context of this, um, or I think we were talking about this as we were thinking through what we were going to say and talk about today. Um, we were talking about alcohol, right? And you, you were mentioning um, a minute ago the disease, right? Viewing mm-hmm. it as a disease. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes I think, especially in faith-based communities, we get sort of caught up in this pornography is somehow different than everything else. Like, I don't know, like it's such a, I don't know, I feel like it's such a satanic thing that's like covering the Christian community. Like like it's the one sin that like we can't talk about. And it's like the one sin that like all men are allowed to get away with. And it's like so bad. But then if it gets really, really bad, then we don't offer them any help, but we publicly shame them. Right, it's really I know. Fun. It's just, it's so messed up. Yeah. Okay, so just take pornography out of it. How would you feel about confronting your husband about alcohol addiction? Right, right, yeah, and, and let's let, let's take that down and kind of put some practicalness, or practicality even, to it. So he's taking money out of out of your wallet, yeah. to go buy drugs or to go drink, and you're like, hey, would you just allow that to continue? Yeah, he 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 took the formula money, right, and so you needed to buy formula for your kid. Would you just back off? Or 
let's go, okay, he's shooting up with heroin. Because this is a thing, right? Like, We're oh, really going down a hole yeah, No, but I specifically because of this analogy. <laughs> sure. um, bec- because it does the same thing to the brain. First of all, there is no difference with the damage that it does to the brain. So mm-hmm. we, we do need to take it as seriously of as course. drug or alcohol yeah. addiction. But a lot of times I think sometimes people will be like, oh, it's just, it's not really an addiction. It's like once a week or twice a week. Okay, cool. You're going to let someone shoot up with heroin once a week and not call that an addiction? Yeah, it's not safe at any dose. It's not safe at any dose. It's not faithfulness at any dose. I don't know why we put all these caveats onto pornography. Like yeah. it's some sort yeah. of like special well, you know, thing. It, it, it's, it, it's interesting. Um, Gabor Mate in his book In the Realm of Hungry Ghosts talks about you, you addicts, and he's talking specifically about drug addicts, recover better when empathy is extended their way, right? When when they when we lead with empathy when we're dealing with them. But he also says, but it's not your responsibility to get abused by them. So you can put boundaries in place to protect yourself, to protect your resources, but you can also lead with understanding. So you know the way oh, I the way I view that is the whole like, well just stop it. If you love me, you'd stop it, right? And mm-hmm. so it's like, well, no, if you'd love me, you'd help me you allow me to help you get into yeah. recovery. It so is, there's a difference. It to that. is the kind and loving thing to set boundaries and expectations and to say, hey, here is a CSAT. I found one for you. Mm-hmm. Here is a support group. They meet on Thursdays um, in order to stay in this relationship. You know, we're going to need, I'm going to need to see you doing some recovery. That's work. right. Yeah. Um, that is kind, that is loving. Boundaries are loving. If you didn't care about someone, if you didn't love someone, you mm-hmm. would let them shoot up with heroin seven days a week. Yeah, yeah. If you didn't love someone, if you didn't want intimacy with your partner, if you didn't want a better marriage, you wouldn't care if they were looking at pornography because it wouldn't hurt your feelings. Right. right. You might think it's morally wrong, but it wouldn't hurt your feelings if you didn't care about this person. Mm-hmm. So... I don't know if we answered the question. Well, I think the second part of the question is, should I pray? And my my thought on prayer is, well, you should always pray. Of course. You know, pray is all, you know, you you, you shouldn't choose one over the other, right? You right. can. Well, you and can then ass- we gave the example of Jesus, he was doing both, right? right? Like yeah, he would take ass- action, he would feel the feelings, he would connect with community, he would sleep, he would set boundaries, and he was constantly communicating with his father. Right, right. There's a, there's a, uh, a benefit to prayer, and there's a benefit to to you know deep thought and there's a benefit to meditation and there's a benefit to all those things. So yes, do all of those things. But also protect yourself because by establishing boundaries and confronting the behavior, that's what leads to change mm-hmm. and that's what's going to lead to the better the better outcome than to allow it just to happen. You know, very rarely do people get better at anything yeah. on their own. Yeah, and I think just I mean, again, just to sort of bring it all like all the way back to the beginning of, of what I was saying like why um in the Christian church, these situations are so, um, I just want so so badly to protect the women. And I want so badly to empower you as the betrayed partner to stand up for the rights that you have as a Christian spouse, as any spouse. Mm-hmm. you ha- As any spouse has the right, right to fidelity, to monogamy, to respect, to be treated as a decent human being, yeah. lovingly and kindly. Every spouse has that right. And every spouse has the right to know who they are married to, honestly. 
like actually know who you're married to, like vulnerably yeah, know yeah. and to see that person. And and that's like another thing with the the recovery thing. Um, exposing someone feels scary. It feels horrible. It feels uncomfortable. Um, but it is so kind and so loving because it is through vulnerability and the exposing of shame in a kind way, like you were saying, in an empathetic way that allows them to actually heal and, and get it out of their life. So you know, there's so many um, caveats to this or like little points to this question that we don't know. So I want to just clarify this entire episode by saying most of the time what we were talking about is is um, general spouses who are either sort of like middle ground, like, eh, I care, but I don't care, or they really don't want to be doing this behavior. They believe that it's morally wrong. What we're usually not addressing because this is not our specialty are the the legitimate abusive, narcissistic, I'm going to gaslight you. I'm going to blame you. I'm going to hold on to it. I want my addiction over everything else in my life. That is not generally what our podcast is addressing. So if you find yourself in that position, um, there are specialists who talk about narcissism and who talk about some of those more extreme behaviors um, because that does happen. Mm -hmm. And in those situations, that is a different process to set boundaries and to protect yourself. It is not the same. And I want to make that very clear for anybody who goes, well, I think my husband might be a narcissist. There's about one to 2% of the population who are like legit, everybody has narcissistic tendencies, but there are legitimately like diagnosable narcissists. And if that is the situation that you find yourself in, the approach that you take with them is different because it is more dangerous to just assert yourself um, with an actual narcissist. So I just want to make sure that that's very clear. But generally, that's not the majority of the population. The majority of people that um, are married and the majority of people that even even within addiction, um, narcissism is going to be an extremely small percent of like actually diagnosed or diagnosable. And so um, that's generally who we're talking. We're talking to the majority. So assuming that you are safe in your relationship to set boundaries, it's an incredibly important thing to do. And so that sort of, I just want to make that um, point at the end, just in case anybody was listening, feeling conflicted about that. Like, I don't feel like this would be safe in my relationship. If that's you, that that's that's probably yeah. why. And and we re- we highly recommend connecting with people who specialize in that area to guide you because that's our advice and our um, perspective is not specifically for those scenarios. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, so at, at the end, just to encourage everybody and to encourage maybe addicts that are listening to this too, you know, being able to have some right and left boundaries. Um, you know, there's the three circles tool out there that has guardrails, right? Having um, uh, the information and having uh, boundaries put on by your spouse, those are important guardrails for you that are important to move you towards recovery. So don't be afraid of them. Don't push back on them. Listen to them. Be patient. Process them. Because ultimately, they're going to help you become the better version that you want to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's wrap it up with the question, what is my responsibility as the betrayed partner and as a believer to confront my husband? I think the ultimate responsibility you have is to determine what you are going to feel safe with. Think through that really, really deeply, five years, 10 years, and then make some decisions based on that. Um, And do I keep bringing the behavior up 
Absolutely. If it's not, um, if it's not getting resolved, if he's not taking action on it. Um, and that's where boundaries have those consequences that we were talking about, because if we just establish, Hey, I want you to do this. And then they don't do it. Nothing happens. That's just a wish we're kind of throwing out there. So that's where the consequences come in. And again, that's kind and loving for them to experience, Oh, my behavior ends up with this result. That's important for, for many addicts to actually experience those consequences. And then finally, do I step back and pray? I don't encourage stepping back um, you know, I do encourage confronting the behavior and standing up for yourself when, again, with that little caveat of when it's safe for you in your relationship. Um, but always pray 100% for yourself, for him, for recovery, um, for your, for, you know, for confidence, for whatever it is that you need through this situation. Um, the only, the only little asterisk I think I'll put with stepping back is reminding yourself that you can set all the boundaries in the world, which I think is very important. You can determine what you need in your relationship to move forward, which is very important. And ultimately, you don't have control over what he decides to do with that. But again, that's why I think boundaries are so important. You get to get very clear on what you want your life to look like and what you want your marriage to look like. They have the freedom to join you in that vision or not. And we hope that they will join you in that vision. There's so much freedom and recovery and joy in that vision. And we hope that they will join you. If they don't, They've given you enough information to make decisions for your life moving forward because of what you've already determined is and is not acceptable for you. And then you can take action on that. But the boundary and the consequences have to be established in order for that to get really clear. Are they going to participate with you or are they choosing a life of shame and addiction? Mm-hmm. That's all we have for you today. Ooh, that was such a big topic. <laughs> like, did I cover <laughs> Yeah, so um, just a reminder, I encourage you to check out those resources we mentioned earlier. Um, there's so many other people um, that that speak on the faith aspect of this, and I encourage you to even dig into that more if that is um, a big piece of your, your thinking around this. Uh, but that's all I have to say about this. Patrick, what do you think? I think that was great. great. All right. Yeah, we hope this was encouraging to you today, and we will see you next week. Woohoo! If you're listening to this, it means you've made it through an entire episode. Part of recovery is spending time engaging in healing and self-growth activities. We are thankful that you chose our podcast to be one of those activities today. Make sure you reward yourself for that accomplishment. If you've enjoyed this episode or this podcast, we would love to hear from you. Please take just a few moments to leave a rating and review, letting us know your experience with Recover You. We not only love hearing how these episodes are helpful, but ratings and reviews help others just like you who are searching for recovery information and support find the podcast too. We can't wait to hear from you. See you next week.